Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. You're with Valerie Farfalla on Unemployed Workers Fight Back as part of the sewer program. And uh, today I have an interview with Sue Bolton from the Victorian Socialists for Wills. She's the candidate. Um, Then, later, I have an interview with CWA National President Tanya Cameron. Um, And that's about the CWA support for an increase in the level of New Start. You probably um, heard a couple of days ago that um, the CWA were about to give a presentation and Scott Morrison was there and he was hit in the head with an egg and that uh, sort of must have distracted them from what they wanted to talk about. So um, we'll have a talk with Tanya Cameron about that. And then at six o'clock we have an interview with Alex North. He's the National Coordinator, National Branch Coordinator of the AUWU. Hello, so I'm speaking with the CWA National President, Tanya Cameron. Hello, Tanya. How are you, Valerie? Really good. I was so impressed with what I heard the other day when your poor CWA was quite distracted when uh, <laughs> that egg was thrown. <laughs> and um, and I understood later that um, you were going to talk about um, your support for an increase in the level of New Start. Yes. And uh, look, that's really interesting because there are quite a few other groups that support it, like John Howard, many business groups, of course, ACOS and the Greens. And it seems that Labor is... Um, making a commitment just to review it. And, of course, right. we, we don't have a commitment to change it from the government at this stage. Um, now, your interest, I understand, is particularly um, in problems facing older disadvantaged women in rural areas and the difficulty finding jobs and paying rent and surviving. Is that right? Well, yes, but women in general, I think, because um, when we, we have, uh, you know, several policies that this sort of initiative aligned with and... Uh, rural areas in particular, uh, uh, older women, obviously, there are issues with older women and um, and poverty, but um, women in rural areas who, for whatever reason, uh, are having to be on New Start, um, we're also just supporting the, the, the increase for them. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you can't survive, can't survive in the city, and I'm sure you can't in the country on such a low rate as well. Well, you know, once upon a time, um, you know, things were probably cheaper in the country and mm. um, and, and particularly living. Um, but now I think 
um, I believe Anglicare Australia um, did a bit of a study on um, rental properties, affordable rental properties, and there are about 67,000 nationally, but there are only three of those apparently that are affordable by someone, a single person on Newstart. Yes, as you say, it's impossible to live on $40 a day. Yeah. You can't run a car, pay the rent and buy groceries with such yeah. little money. Also, you know, people um, are now, everyone says, oh, they're on welfare and people are demonised. It's actually a social security entitlement. Yes, and, it is. And look, there are all sorts of reasons why people are, you know, become homeless or are in poverty and um, uh, there's been, you know, several studies just in my little limited searching that that have, have shown that it's not just about people you know on welfare it's about for all sorts of reasons people are, are having to be on new start also <coughs> what the government doesn't say when it talks about its um, its success with finding people jobs is that there are plenty of people who are very underemployed you know it's in terms of the statistics, it doesn't really clarify that. There's a lot of underemployment, there's a lot of hidden employment, and there's a lot of people that actually find the process of going to the job agency so bad that they withdraw altogether. Many have mental health issues. Yes, that's that's true, but there is also, um, there's also some evidence to suggest that the rate of new start is so low it's actually inhibiting um, people uh, looking for work. It's inhibiting their ability to be able to retrain if they've had to be out of the workforce for a while because they just simply can't afford to. So if their skills are outdated or they need to, to, to retrain or update, they just can't afford to, as well as the cost of then travelling to interviews, etc. That would be particularly the case in the country where they travel long um, long can, areas. And, and then you've, you've got, of course... Uh, the problem with the drought, which would exacerbate farming families as well, in terms of um, one of the partners wanting to go out and get a job to try and boost their revenue in the family. There is that aspect of it, and I think um, you know, just this uh, ACOS are only calling for seventy-five dollar a week increase, but you know, it's it's projected to inject four billion dollars into the economy, and the top twenty local government areas. Um, to benefit will be in rural and regional areas. So you mentioned the drought. There are a lot of businesses in rural Australia that are actually have been affected by the drought because obviously their surrounding agricultural community have less funds to spend. But they're not; those businesses are not actually el- eligible for support. And so you know, this sort of increase that would be spent locally would be a boost um, to those businesses at this particular point in time. That's right. A food bank found in a 2018 report that increasing New Start would inject $4 billion into the Australian economy, deliver mm. 12,000 new jobs in the first year, and um, of the top 20 local government areas to benefit would be regional areas. Yes. I think yes. You're, you're actually involved in local government too, aren't you? I am. I do. I'm um, a, a councillor on the Walgatshire Council. We, mm. um, we moved from, from the Walgett area a couple of years ago, but I was elected to council just before we moved and I am able to stay on, obviously not re-stand, but I'm able to stay on, so the experience is good and it it also then, um, uh, you know, it just it reminds me every time I go out there what real drought is actually like. Yes, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you and it, it's great that CWA is supporting an increase in the level of new start as well. That's fantastic. It just seemed to us the logical thing to do. And as I say, we've got some policies that it sits well with. 
but the fact that it hasn't been increased in real terms for 25 years is also a really, you know, it's a, it's a concern and uh, it, just, it just added up for us. All right. Well, I've just been talking with CWA National President Tanya Cameron. Thank you very much for being on our program, 3CR, and the program's called Unemployed Workers Fight Back. So, <laughs> Thank you, Valerie. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now I'd like to welcome in Sue Bolton. And um, Sue is the candidate for Wills for the Victorian Socialists. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Excellent. Now tell me, um, first of all, we'll go through some of your policies and things, but how is, how's it all going? Uh, going quite well, getting a lot of interest. I yeah. bet you are. Um, and that area is around um, West Brunswick and um, Coburg. Is it? it goes from in Melbourne? Brunswick and Coburg all the way up to the Western Ring Road. So the mm. suburbs in the north where unemployment's highest is uh, Faulkner, Hadfield, Glenroy. Yes, I'm sure that's the case. Um, so what you're arguing for is reverse privatisation of transport, energy and the banks to extend public housing, to reduce housing costs. Um, and you find that for-profit childcare and aged care are too expensive and low quality and you want free public preschool and aged care systems. You've also, um, in terms of um, climate emergency, you want the power industry in public hands to achieve 100% renewables within 10 years. Is that right? That's right. And obviously stop the Adani mine, no new coal mines. Um I guess I'm interested particularly in the in the job area and the new start um, area. So what sort of um, real action on jobs? What's your policy there? Well, I think uh, a massive program for building public housing um, would be uh, would be the um, what uh, the way that we could create one of the ways that we could create jobs. Not only that, um, there are jobs in a whole lot of areas which are unfunded but are necessary um, to do. But I think especially um, the provision of public housing, and by that I mean proper public housing, yeah. uh, I don't mean the community housing which is um, run by not-for-profit housing agencies which house very few people, very few homeless people, very few um, people on any kind of welfare benefits. The rents are too high for New Start recipients. Well, that's right. So mm-hmm. they really don't. They prefer to uh, only uh, take people who um, have have work at the moment. So it's um, that's not really the solution in terms of housing. So you know, I think for people who are um, low in terms of jobs, I mean, having difficulty accessing jobs or accessing only multiple part-time jobs or one or two days a week here and there, um, we absolutely need to bring down the cost of housing. The only way of doing that is public housing. Um, I also think that um, removing the anti-union laws and allowing unions to go on to work sites, talk to workers, join workers to unions, organise workers to fight for their rights. I think that is very important, both in terms of um, of trying to win some job security. Uh, one of the uh, disputes that happened just recently in Melbourne Chemist Warehouse 
that was a National Union of Workers dispute and they actually won permanent work for casual workers who'd been there more than six months. And I think that is uh, a really big thing because the uh, the fact that almost half the workforce is casual now means like people, a lot of people are living hand-to-mouth each week. It's shocking, isn't it? And also, without that job security, they're not going to be spending any money in the economy. And the government keeps saying... Um, we want people to spend money, but the Reserve Bank's slashing growth forecasts, which means that there'll be more likely, there'll be more people put out of work, which will be a big shock for them as well, because the whole community's been demonising unemployed workers for so long, I, I don't think that they realise just how close it is. People will lose jobs, and if there's no support from the unions, they'll just be stuffed, won't they? Well, absolutely, and the casualisation of work is going to into every sector, yeah. uh, including the professional professional jobs. So it's not just blue-collar jobs or lower-level white-collar jobs. It's actually even going into professional areas now. The media's been covering that in terms of tertiary tutors and lecturers who are oh, slave labour. Virtually they're working 24-7 to keep up with the marking and everything they've got to do, and they're casual too. And also there's the uberisation of our of work, so that for instance, um, you know, there's something called Airtasker, where um, people, you know, graphic designers, all sorts of different um, trades and professions and all sorts of things, uh, bid against each other to of, uh, to offer the lowest price for doing a job. Um, often well under the value of that particular job in order to get some kind of work when when they're out of work. And we've got something similar happening in amongst um, and one of the NDIS companies or providers is doing something, has a similar arrangement for NDIS carers as what Uber has with its drivers. Have you investigated um, how this could be changed legally? Um, not yet, um, but really we stand for um, sort of public ownership and reversal of the privatisation. Yeah. And I think um, really with the whole NDIS um, situation where I think, you know, maybe some people with disabilities are getting uh, a good um, a good uh, grant and, and good program out of it. But I actually think it really advantages people who are well-educated, very confident negotiators and therefore probably more affluent people. And I think a lot of people will struggle to actually get something out of NDIS. Um, But the real thing is that um, if it was publicly provided rather than through um, all of these various private companies, then it would... You'd actually be able to still provide the choice of service but it would be um, publicly owned, accountable. You wouldn't have all of these different companies putting their hand into people's NDIS packages and taking Mm. something out. In terms of jobs, would uh, VS favour a return to the CES run by the government? Well, certainly we're opposed to the whole system of current job network provider system, um, which where all they seem to do is rewrite people's resumes and report people to Centrelink. They don't actually get people jobs. So, yeah, I mean, some sort of public system would be better. 
Yes. Now, would uh, does VS support the introduction of a universal basic income? Now, we don't have a position on the universal basic income. There are a range of views in the progressive movement on the universal basic income. Um, some people are, are of the view that, like, it sort of sounds like a good thing, but it. Some people have the view that this, uh, the universal basic income, could be a way of driving wages down, possibly. Um, so there's a mix of views. We don't have a definite view on a universal basic income at this point in time. Yes, and there's another contentious one too, which is the job guarantee. What's your view on that? Uh, the job guarantee. Mm. What? Um, just explain a little bit about that. Sorry, I. Sh- um, well, it's it's a bit of a controversial one. Um, I can't imagine how it would work in a mixed economy, such as, such as Australia's. As in, like a guaranteed job, yes, just in general. Yeah, it's um, well. I mean, we don't live in that sort of society, do we? We have a mixed economy. Yeah, in a, in a post-capitalist society, you could have a job guarantee. I think that would absolutely be feasible. But at the moment, I think. What we need to do is really fight for, um, I mean, we just have to fight for our rights under capitalism. I think a job guarantee is is not really, I think, achievable under a capitalist system, I I think, basically. Um, What we have to do is fight for, you know, as close to that as we can get. And see, one of the things that was won in the old days by the Wharfies, the seafarers, painters and deck painters and dockers, was for a job pool because they were in itinerant, um, in an itinerant kind of industry, or, or um, you know the work was there when the ships came in, uh, but they had a roster to share the work around, and they had uh, sort of averaging out of, of wages. So, um, so that was probably the closest thing to sort of guaranteeing a job for all and preventing employers from being able to discriminate against people because the employers had to take when a ship came in they had to take the next person on the roster Um, and I gather the old fed for union had something similar now they that sort of union used to cover cover crane drivers and so forth I don't know much about that but in the waterfront and and on the sea that you had that job labour pool kind of scenario that the old Communist Party unions fought for. Yes, okay. What's um, Victorian Socialist's view on the cashless welfare card trials? Totally opposed. We uh, totally oppose the basics card. Uh, we just think this is totally discriminatory and leads to all sorts of social problems. Um, I mean, and it's also a way of stigmatising people. Um, it doesn't deal with the issues that it claims it deals with of people spending money on alcohol or and the big end of town whatever. is running it. That's so right, and the big the end of town is running it. But mm. it, it's not. I mean, the issue for people on welfare is they don't have enough money, and so there is the indignity of people being sent off to 
budgeting classes to talk about how they're doing their budgets and so forth when the actual issue is not people budgeting mostly Mm. poor people are very good budgeters Mm. because they have to be Um, but the issue is they don't have enough money coming in Mm. to cover very basic living expenses now it's in terms of your campaign what are you hearing from wills voters about their preferences and important issues for them in their lives well i've found a lot of interest amongst people in the idea of uh, reversing the privatisation of electricity, Mm. bringing that back into public hands so that we can lower electricity prices, carry out a planned and fast transition to 100% renewable energy and preserve the jobs of workers in the fossil fuel sector um, or or at least uh, guarantee them jobs in the renewable energy sector when the coal-fired power stations close down. Yeah. Um, Also, you mentioned transport. Now, I know in your role as a Moreland City Councillor, you've been working to extend the train line, I think, haven't you, in that area? Yes. Well, we believe there needs to be a massive expansion of public transport so that it is a realistic alternative to um, using a car. We also believe it should be made free the moment public transport is really really expensive and there are a lot of people who a lot of young i mean i've heard of stories of young people who don't go to school because they can't afford the mikey and when you look at the ticket inspectors Mm. and you see them lined up at melbourne central station which Mm. is the one i mostly go to um they basically i mean there is a stereotyping and it is mostly young people they pursue young people plus anyone who looks like they might be an overseas student um, and really give them a grilling and you know you see young people shaking like a leaf surrounded by three or four ticket inspectors and you know quite often people can't can't afford a a card Mm. or they might be getting on at a a station which is not staffed so they can't buy a ticket mm. um, it's just a stupid system and actually if you um, made it free um, the cost of providing the whole Mikey system is so expensive that if you got rid of that whole system that would actually pay for free public transport and as you said in if you're talking about unemployed workers trying to go for jobs and things they could be sent anywhere around and it's really quite expensive even on public transport of course without a car but on public transport they could be sent anywhere and it is quite expensive isn't it that's right it is totally expensive and it doesn't it doesn't go to a diverse enough number of places and in fact our public transport system was better in the 1950s than it is now. Really? The, mm. There were there were, was a lot more public transport in some places than there is now. When you think of uh, the lines around um, the Wills electorate, um, where does it go? There's, there's Broadmeadows and then there's Craigieburn. What about some of the other lines um, I'm thinking Well, of? there's two train lines in, uh, in the uh, Wills electorate and uh, three tram lines in the Wills electorate. Now, some they don't the... extend out to the outer suburbs, do they? No, and the one, the Melville Road tram, uh, we would like to see that extended up to Glenroy. Apparently it was meant to, in the early 1900s, it was planned to extend all the way up to Boundary Road in Glenroy, but it was never extended that far. Then, of course, you've got the... But further, because you've got Faulkner as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it possibly could turn the corner at Boundary Road and go um, 
you know, go back towards the Faulkner Cemetery. Um, then there's a number 19 tram which ends in Coburg North and really should extend all the way up to Campbellfield. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's a long, and, a long way. And, and what do you do um, if you're a long way from a train? Well, that's right. And I know my partner used to, um, and I live in Glenroy, and my partner used to work in Campbellfield. To go by public transport would cost an hour and a half, what is quite a short car journey um, and mm. a, a short by distance, but it is a long time by public transport. I know I've been, my um, son works in Hadfield and um, he hasn't got a car at the moment and I'm driving him. And it's crossways from Mooney Ponds to Hadfield, but to try and get to get there from where we are, you'd, you'd need about an hour and a half, about three buses, mm. and it's not convenient. Yeah. No, that's right. And if you had um, fast and frequent public transport, buses every 10 minutes mm. um, and trains every 10 minutes, day and night then it would be much easier for people to get around as well as um, filling in lots of, lots of spots with um, extra buses and extra trains. Now I've got an interview um, shortly with um, Alex North. He's the National Branch Coordinator of the AUWU, but you're welcome to, to stay mm. a bit. No, that'd be great. So we might just... Um, go for a song while I ring him this is a lovely jazz number written by Martha Bartz who's a a fabulous sax player and it's called King's Gold yeah no
Hello, Alex. Hi, Valerie. I'm talking to Alex North, and he's uh, the National Branch Coordinator of the AUWU. Good to talk to you. I've got Sue Bolton here with me as well, so she might join in. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Just to clarify, I'm, I'm the National Coordinator of the Australian uh, Unemployed Workers Union. Hayden Patterson is the uh, National Branch Coordinator. Thanks, Alex. Sorry, there's a bit of um, static on the line. It must be all that rain, I think. Um, <laughs> I'll be surprised. Alex, uh, at the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, we're fighting back against Australia's unfair welfare system. And it was um, hmm. recently revealed that the basic new start payment is only half of what Australians need to live out of poverty. And our mission, of course, is to fight for the basic human rights of unemployed Australians, most of whom are living in poverty. I wanted to discuss some of the latest developments, uh, such as the Parent Next campaign, uh, the response to the advocacy workshops, and new campaigns and Senate submissions that you might like to inform our listeners about. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly, absolutely. So the Parents Next campaign was a campaign that we carried out uh, earlier this year, just prior to the um, uh, Parents Next Senate inquiry. And that was a really, really important thing for us to put people you know, the AEW to get involved with because uh, parenting, single, uh, the single parenting payment has been constantly under attack by uh, subsequent governments, both Liberal and Labor. And the Parents Net sort of program, it's quite interesting for us to think about because it's, it's an entirely new sort of frontier for employment service providers. So what we did as AEW is we talked to some of the people who were actually in the Parents Next program, got their experiences, as well as actually some of the workers at the Parents Next providers. And what we found in our workshops that we conducted around Australia was overwhelmingly the negative experiences of these predominantly women uh, just having an absolutely shocking time and um, being coerced into signing uh, privacy waivers that they had the, being told they had to sign it, even though they had the right not to sign it and being forced to go through all these loops and rigmaroles uh, in order, basically, for their providers to make a payment out of them. I also um, heard from people that it's very stigmatising because um, people who are quite capable of bringing up their own children and getting them involved in education at a young age and different um, different events um, are being demonised as if they're they're not up to it. Mm, that's exactly right. I mean, it, 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 that really goes to the heart of what Parents Next is really about. It basically doesn't re- recognise all of the unpaid labour that you know, women do every day uh, raising their children. Um, it's essentially a, a sexist sort of program. It says that basically that the women in the, pro- women in the program don't know how to raise their own children. They're not, not preparing themselves to work. They don't have their licence of control. We need to intervene. We need to prepare them for the workforce. And we don't recognise any of the... Uh, decisions uh, that they've made along the way. And it's um, the re-stigmatising, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s, of course, there were these moral views on single parents, and this is the same. This is what they're doing again, just reinforcing Mm. these silly old ideas. And the the parent, you know, being a single parent isn't easy anyway to try and do it on your own. of course not. So, yeah, do you have anything to say on that, Sue? Well, I... Yeah, I just... Oh, sorry about that. Um, I just comment that um, my discussions I've had with um, Ella Buckman, who's been a really, really prominent and fantastic campaigner amongst uh, in the Parents Next campaign. She did that amazing um, 
uh, online petition that got over 35,000 signatures last time I checked and was accepted by um, Senator Stewart yeah. uh, at the Senate inquiry. Um, she always stresses the point that the women she speaks to uh, find that the provider interviews are really demeaning um, and they talk to them as if they're young children that don't know how to, or young teenagers don't know how to look after their own lives. And it's it, it, it's a really humiliating experience to go through because these are you know, women who have taken control of their own lives. They might be fleeing, for example, domestic violence, and they're often forced to recount that traumatic experience to these people who aren't really qualified. I mean, in the end of the day, they are um, well, they're not social workers and they're not people with the relevant uh, training. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the LNP changes to job hunting. Uh, Employment uh, services uh, model. Yes. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, re- that's a really interesting uh, thing, basically. So the information that we've got on that is quite uh, scarce at the moment. But what we do know is that there's going to be this new digitally focused model, and there's essentially three streams that are going to be emerging. There's one called Digital First, one called Digital Plus, and one called Enhanced Services. Uh, and the idea there is that people who will be in the Digital First one, which are probably the majority of job seekers, uh, people who are deemed to be, you know, job ready and digitally literate, uh, and they'll be doing sort of self service online. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what we what that self service will actually how it will work and how it will function, uh, information is pretty scant there. Um, but one thing that I had a talk with a Virginia Eubanks, who's a uh, Canadian uh, journalist and wrote a fantastic book uh, called Automating the Quarterly, and how basically uh, these sort of tools are used to. Uh, punish the poor is that she she's noticed in the America and also in the UK where similar sort of digital online self service models have been introduced is that they generally seem to punish people who have an enormous amount of difficulty accessing uh, digital online platforms yeah and it's also a simultaneously a way to cut back on sort of staff um, necessary to sort of previously administered the more paper focused um, employment service model so we've seen what happened it, with Centrelink haven't we. Um, people ring That's and they right. don't get an answer. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would. So when I, so what I've heard about the uh, the new employment service model, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing a similar uh, sort of case emerging that's happened both in the UK and in the US, and also has happened to the sort of privatisation of Centrelink services. Uh, mm. So I think it's really important to to note that uh, this sort of digital approach disproportionately affect people who have difficulties accessing uh, online platforms. I mean, as you know, people on YouTube are very, very, um, like myself, we're all scant for money and we don't always have access to the internet. So it's going to make our lives uh, harder, I imagine. Also, um, a lot of people over 55 aren't as familiar with the latest technology, um, mm. as you said, and may not have a computer. Um, yes, yes. So, the way that the new employment services model work is those people will go into either the digital plus or the enhanced uh, services streams. So beforehand, there's the digital first stream I was talking about a little bit earlier, which is people who are job seekers and will be identified as the most job ready and digitally literate, and they'll be doing self-service online. But yeah. the people who are over 55 who will probably require uh, more more help and more services. Uh, it, all, all I've got here is just a small amount of information that basically specifies that they're going to have to receive ongoing support from their employment service provider. Um, but how that will work and how that will be delivered is kind of yet to be determined. 
Yeah, Prime Minister Scott Morrison vowed to oversee 1.25 million new positions over the next five years. But he's been pretty quiet on this matter since the election was called, hasn't he? I don't think that mm. he's talked about it much at all. No, no, no. I mean, since since, since the Kelly event um, that happened, um, we went actually went there, uh, Hayden Patterson and myself and a few others actually went there in person and attended it. Since that big event, there really hasn't been much... Uh, much been said on this uh, new employment services um, system. And I imagine that's just a political move. So in terms of the basic New Start increases um, mm -hmm. and the election, you've you've yep. got the Greens, um, Tory and Socialists, of course, supporting it. Labor's um, just made a commitment to a review, uh, but there's lots of business. And we had an interview with the CWA who supports an increase. And, of course, in South Australia, you've got heaps of local government that supports it, and here yeah. too. Um, are there any surprises in terms of um, increases to New Start and, and whether it will happen under Labor? Do you have any commitment from them at all? Yeah, so I, th I think it's important that when we, when we think about New Start, we need to understand that it, it is genuinely an election issue. Yeah. Um, it's obviously been in the media a lot lately, of course. And interesting surveying that was done by uh, Essential uh, was commissioned by ACOS. They surveyed about 1,000 um, voters about the issue whether or not they support a increase in New Start to help people in their job efforts. What's really fascinating is it really cuts across both parties. Overall, 72% of the people surveyed support a raise for New Start. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the majority of both coalition Labor and Greens voters all support a raise for New Start. So it's really important to factor that the voters support a raise for New Start as well as those local councils that you mentioned before and also all those, and also a whole series of other stakeholder um, organisations. I mean, you've got the Australian Business um, Council and the ACTU agreeing for once and both supporting a race in New Start. So Do you have think, a view on that, Sue? Yeah. Well, I um, think... I, this is Sue. Yeah, Sue, Sue intervening here. Yeah. Um, I think it's great that there's so many organisations calling for an increase in New Start. Um, I think Labor is a bit under pressure because at the beginning of the election campaign they were calling just for a review and then I can't remember the exact word that Bill Shorten mentioned, but he seemed to be indicating there would be likely to be an increase. Um, unspecified amount, though. But I must admit I do find the $75 a week increase pretty paltry, though, that uh, people are putting about, because I think it needs to be increased to above the poverty line. And my understanding is, I mean, maybe Alex has got a bit more information, um, my understanding is New Start is about $185 or something in that region below the poverty line. Like, that's a substantial, a substantial amount below the poverty line. What's your view there, Alex? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it all depends on what poverty line you use to measure these things. Now, we use the um, Hedison poverty line. Um, which is developed um, by the, uh, I believe it's the Melbourne Institute um, uh, yearly, and that's measured to that's basically the, the, how much um, money is necessary for a, a single household, a single earner in a household to basically cover the basic essentials uh, of life. Um, and it is about, the current new start rate is about half of what the Henderson poverty line is. Uh, the thing is, it varies all the time depending on the 
how much the cost of living and all these major issues. Um, so when we consider the Deloitte Access Report um, argument to raise New Start by just $75, which is what the Greens and uh, ACOS and a few other organisations are pushing for, uh, the reality is basically this falls below the poverty line and it's not going to be really enough to lift people out of poverty, even though it would substantially help people who are trying to survive in the payment today. One thing the ALP is saying is that it's too complex to say how much yet. Do you think that they're meaning by that that they might um, try and overhaul the job agency system that's there at the moment, or is that too much to hope for? Uh, I'm sorry, Valerie. Um, do you, I couldn't quite hear that. Do you, think they, do you think they might recommend an overhaul of the job agency system, the privatised job agency system as it is? Uh, Labour or Liberal? Yeah, Labour. Um, well, I've heard mixed uh, sentiments uh, about the whole job active system. I mean, I don't see. I mean, I see that I see some changes coming through, but I don't really see a, an enormous sort of overhaul. I mean, they're still, as Linda Bernie says, committed to the idea of mutual obligation. Um, so there is still going to be the necessary necessity of the work test, and there will still be obligations for a person receiving new start uh, to uphold. Um, having said that, though, there has been obviously a push against uh, PATH and the Community Development Program, which we obviously celebrate and welcome, because um, these forms of work for the dollar are extremely exploitative. Yeah. Uh, but as as the actual key part of the um, system, which is the idea of mutual obligation, I don't really see uh, Labor abandoning that, abandoning that in the time soon. Okay. So. Um are there any other campaigns coming up that you'd like to mention on Unemployed Workers Fight Back today? Yes, yes, I'd, I'd love to. Um, so we've got our National Days of Action coming up uh, over the next few days, and it's all available on our website and on our Facebook page. Um, How do we get uh, in, to the website? A... Can you, to new, uh, give our listeners the um, the web details, please? Oh, of course, I'd love to, Valerie. So it is, if you go to www unemployedworkersunion.com that's all one word or you go to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union Facebook page and yeah. you look at our events tab you'll be able to see all the events we'll be having before, up, you know, after the election and also afterwards yeah. um, I'd also like to point out for our listeners um, in Melbourne there's going to be quite a lot of activity going on in, in terms of new start stores and delegations outside some key people's uh, offices so hopefully a few of you guys can get down to Jed Carney's and uh, office that uh, would be really, really interesting, quite good. If you want to find out information about that, go to our Facebook page or our website at www.unemployedworkersunion.com. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Alex North, um, from the AUWU, for being on our program, Unemployed Workers Fight Back, on 3CR Community Radio. Thanks for No worries. It was a pleasure, Valerie. Okay. Bye-bye, Alex. Thank you. So um, I did have a couple more questions for you to Sue. Um, Sue Bolton I'm talking to from the Victorian Socialists and she's the Wills candidate in the election, which is on next Saturday. That's right, Saturday <gasps> week. Oh, yeah. Next Saturday, it's not yeah. long, is it? Uh, yeah, one thing I just wanted to ask you, um, if you win the Senate seat, there seem to be quite a lot of um, upcoming different groups involved aren't there i've been hearing about all these small parties yes would you be working with um the greens and the alp or 
or other smaller groups, independents? Well, we're not running in the Senate, mm. although um, uh, there are Socialist Alliance candidates in the Senate in uh, New South Wales and Western Australia. But not in Victoria? Not in Victoria. We end up making a decision in Victorian Socialists not to stand in the Senate, which, you know, um, whether that was the right or the wrong decision, we'll, we'll um, see. Um, it, it was a shame that we didn't decide to run in the Senate. Um, so at the moment we, we've we got candidates in three seats. So I'm running That's in the fantastic. seat of Wills. Um, Kath Larkin's running in the seat of Cooper. Yeah. And uh, Jerem Small is running in the seat of Cornwall. Oh, that's wonderful. So. Oh, it'll be... Look, I didn't realise that, you know. Mm. Excuse my ignorance. I thought it was the Senate. But it's a House of Reps. That's, all, yeah, that's even yeah, better. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how we go. Um, and, you know, there's a range of smaller parties, um, you know, Clive Palmer Party and so forth is everywhere. So, like, yeah. there are some parties... I can't believe it. Some, you know, quite amazing. Um, he's funding his election campaign out of workers' entitlements that he didn't pay. Yeah. Um, and how, how can anyone believe that the yeah. LNP is going to um, get behind them as, at all or associate with them at all? Oh, they're desperate. <laughs> they must be absolutely desperate. Yeah. Desperate. Mm. Well, all the best. No worries. Um, Thanks, Valerie. We're going to go out with a song. Uh, I'm in a band called Reds Under the Bed Activist Cabaret and a few years ago... I wrote this song called Captain Barnacle about Tony Abbott and he won't go away and he's putting himself up as a potential Prime Minister. But I understand New South Wales Police are investigating after faeces hidden inside a book was left outside his city election office. (laughs) It was hidden. A poo was hidden inside the hollowed out book. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we have a listen to this song which is a bit feisty called Barnacle Bill. It's about Tony. Um... And we'll see you in a month.
am not a thick tri-hub, but warrior with tribes who got a Catholic from the DLP. Turned out to be a failure. I'm Captain Barney Cole, Barney Gold. 